Good morning. Hey, it's cool as we continue the study on Psalms. Uh, in fact, this is, there's five Sundays in, in this month, and every Sunday you're going to hear from a different pastor. So it'll be kind of fun just to see what their favorite Psalms are and what they have to say. So when Pastor Jarrett asked me a few weeks ago or a couple months ago about my favorite Psalm, it's actually Psalm 133. So if you have your Bible, I want you to flip over there, or you have your Bible app, get over to Psalm 133. Uh, it's only three verses. I like the short ones, uh, but we'll dig into that in just a minute. But I, I'd ask Caleb to sing that song, Gratitude, because I want us to think about what we can be thankful for. So I'm thankful to live here as we celebrate our, our freedom and our independence. I'm thankful for the freedom and the opportunities we have to live here in the United States. But I, even more so, I'm thankful for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, that which far exceeds any other freedom we have. And one of the most important institutions that uh, God has established is the church. And that's really what we're going to talk about today is the church and the unity of the church. Now, we can look at the United States, and obviously, uh, we're more of the divided states right now, and our culture is moving further and further away from God, and that's to be expected. You know, we, just, we know that's what's going to happen with a culture that is not following God. But what I've seen over the last 10 or 15 years is I've seen a lot of Christians that are more concerned and focused on the United States than they, on, than they are on a united church. And the United Church is far more powerful than the United States will ever be. It is something that God can use to accomplish great things. And he wants a united church. And sometimes we don't tap into that. We don't realize how powerful that is. You know, one of our priorities, our focus priorities as a church, is to strengthen the church. And the church we use is the capital C church, meaning the global church. We desire that the church around the world, all the followers of Christ, will be unified and will grow closer and will be a mighty army for God. Amen. So many churches are extremely divided, and so that's why it's important that we discuss this thing called unity. Here's a definition of Christian unity, just as we get started. Christian unity is the result of God bringing together people of different ethnicities, backgrounds, and social classes into one family by faith in Christ. In other words, we have one thing common. We might be for all, kind of, all different backgrounds in here, but we have one thing in common, the most important thing, and that is Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 27 and 28, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, only, in other words, focus on this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear, I may hear of you that, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, okay, that's unity, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I, I picture interlocked arms striving side by side. That's what we are. We're an army for God. One of the things I thought of when I read the scripture is uh, football. So I've been officiating high school football for 18 years now. And what happens uh, is before every game, obviously, there's a coin toss. And the captains come out in the middle, and we do a coin toss. But what happens a lot of times is the teams, the players that are left on the side, a lot of times they'll make a long line on their sideline, and they'll interlock arms, and they'll walk out to, to the numbers, okay, where they are on the field. And what, why do they do that? Because they're showing that they are committed together as a team for one goal, to win the football game. They're, they're, they're linked, they're saying, hey, we may be a bunch of different people, but we're coming together for one goal. And so as a church, our one goal is the gospel and the spread of the gospel. Ephesians 4.3, Paul says, we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. And that word eager in Greek means this, make every effort, not just go halfway, but make every effort to keep the unity. It's so important. That's why I titled this message, make every effort, because anything else just doesn't work, okay? Failure is not an option. We have to make sure that we do everything we can for the sake of unity. So when Laura and I got married back in uh, 2000, uh, I was already serving at a church, and she joined me. And I was serving at a church um, over in the East Texas area. And when I got there, I started learning about the church, and I realized they were a church split. They had planted that church out of a church split, not a church plant, a church split. But then I realized the church they split from was split from another church. So this is third generation split, all right? Now, after I've been there four years, I was there from like 99 to 03, uh, before I left and went to another church to serve, the church split again, okay? And this is all in a small town. The irony is the name of the church was United Church. (laughs) Now, that's kind of humorous. It's an irony, but I think it breaks the heart of God. That is not what he wants. So everybody in that town knew that these people just kept, people kept leaving because they didn't like something. These weren't doctrinal issues. These were things people didn't like this or they didn't like their preference wasn't met or whatever. And so they would go off and they would split. But God desires unity in all that we do. So let me read Psalm 133. Here's what it says. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running on the beard of the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now this psalm is written by King David, and back in the context of what was going on here, remember Israel was divided for a while. Now they're back together. And it's, it, the, the context is this, how good and pleasant it is that we're all together again. And at least for now, we have unity. We have unity. And so I want to cover three main things in the message today. First of all, we're going to see what the promise of unity is. And then we're going to understand the priority of unity. And then we're going to look at what is the practice. How do we put this unity into practice? So let's, let's look at the promise of unity. We're going to kind of break down this verse one really quick. First of all, it says behold, and that word behold is to get our attention like, hey, behold, look, something is about to happen. I'm fixing to say something really, really important. In fact, that that Hebrew word for behold is the same word that is used when God is talking to Noah back in the book of Genesis, okay? Behold, this is what is about to happen. So it's a big word. It's like saying, hey, let me get your attention. Do not miss this. It's really, really important. So he says, behold, how good and pleasant it is. Well, what is it? Well, that tells us in the rest of that verse, when brothers dwell together in unity. So let me, let me jump to the end there and talk about what that is. Well, what are brothers? Well, in our context today, it's Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, God's people, when they dwell together, okay, we don't live together, but this is where we gather, where we dwell together in unity. Now, what is unity? Some translations say harmony. The bottom line is it's where we agree on the key principles of our faith. Remember we had that sermon series uh, um, last month, or back in May, where we talked about the essentials of our faith, the things that never change. Those are the things that are non-negotiables. Those are the things we need to agree on. 
But we can't get caught up in secondary issues, things that Satan would want to use to divide us. Now, unity doesn't mean uniformity. That doesn't mean we we are exactly the same on everything. If if you and me were the exactly same on everything, then one of us is not necessary. Okay? We each have different gifts, different opinions, different talents. It's important that we keep that in mind. It's all about unity. So, what does good and pleasant mean? What does it mean to be good and pleasant? Well, that's what we're going to learn in the next two verses. Verse 2 tells us what it means to be pleasant. Okay, great, we're unified, and what does it mean to be pleasant? Well, he compares God's people to the anointing oil that was poured over uh, Aaron's head, and he was being dedicated as a priest. And this picture really signifies the overflow of God's blessings that come from unity. But also, that oil that was poured over his head was really expensive, and it smelled really, really good. It was just, it was pleasant. I mean, think of a smell that you love, that when you smell it, you think, man, it just makes you feel good. Me, I think of coffee. If I smell coffee, ah, that's awesome. Or baked chocolate cake. Or maybe for you, it's bacon. It could be anything. But I'll tell you, one of my favorite fragrances is any fragrance that I approved for Lori to wear. I say approved. She likes to get my opinion. But I, if she wears that and she walks by and I catch a whiff of that, it's like, hmm, man, that's really good. That's pleasant. That makes me feel good. And that's what that word pleasant means. It's pleasant not only to God when, we are, when we're in unity, but it's also pleasant to everyone that's involved. But then what does good mean? Okay, it's good and pleasant. Well, he describes what good is over in chapter 3. He talks about this dew, okay? Hermon was the tallest mountain, and the dew that would come over the mountain, and it would fall on the mountain of Zion. And that dew, what it did is it brought gentle moisture and and refreshing to the land. It brought vitality and and, uh, life to everything there. It was a blessing of God. That dew is the real mountain dew. All right, I've been waiting all morning to say that. Come on. Forget that other stuff. All right, that's the real Mountain Dew. We want the Mountain Dew of God in our church because it's refreshing, it's vital, and that only happens when we are in unity. Churches that are do-less do less. Think about that, all right? When we don't have the do, we're not really doing much. If we really want to be used for God, we've got to have the do. We've got to do the do. Okay? we got to remember that. So it's very, very important. That's the promise. We get pleasantness and, and goodness when we are together in unity. Now, let's go to part two where we talk about how valid it is and the priority of unity because we want to look at the New Testament. The best way to interpret any scripture is by what? More scripture. Okay? So let's go to the forward. Let's look forward and go to the New Testament and look and see what Jesus said and what Paul said about unity. They had a lot to say about it, so we're just going to pick out a few things that are really, really important, that are just essential to us understanding how important unity is. Jesus, over in uh, Matthew 12, 25, he tells us that division harms the church. Division, it harms the church. Here's what he says in Matthew 12, 25. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. So what we need to know is we need to be all in with God. It's not just putting a toe in the water. It's going all in. We can't be divided. We have to be fully committed to one another, to be focused on the unity of God's people so God can use us the way he wants. 
Dr. Tony Evans says, God will not work amid division and dissension. That is so true. He just won't. He won't honor that. And if we really want to be used by God and make a difference, we have to be fully committed to unity. But then secondly, uh, Jesus says that Christians are commanded to be unified. He commands us to be unified. It's not a suggestion. It's like, be unified if you get a chance or while you're doing other stuff, try to be unified. Now look at what Jesus says over in John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now what did Jesus do for us? Well, he died for us. That's a pretty high level of commitment. But that's what's expected. That is how we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, it's not a suggestion. It is a command straight from Jesus' mouth. But then third, Jesus prayed for unity. Let me give you a hint. Anything Jesus prays for really ought to catch our attention. It must be important if Jesus prayed for unity. Over in John 17... And this is part of what we call the upper room discourse, okay? This section of the book of John, meaning this is Jesus talking to his disciples. It's like his final words. And so this is, he's given them some important info. And here's what he, when he got to his prayer, here's what he prayed. Prayed that they may all be one, just as you, the Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. God prayed for unity or Jesus prayed for unity for us. And part of that is a testimony. When we're unified, it's a testimony to people. I love this quote. I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's not me. But it says, the world will not be one, W-O-N, the world will not be one until we are one. If we really want to impact the world, okay, we have to be one as the body of Christ. That way God can use us the way he wants to, so we can win the world for Christ. Here's the problem. How many people do you know that when they think of the church, the first thing they think of is, man, those people love each other. They're just a bunch of loving people, okay? That's typically not what we're going to get from people outside the church. It's going to be other stuff uh, that they think we focus on or we're against this or that. And we are against some things, but the main thing we want to be known for is how we love one another. Um, Dan Kimball uh, one of, uh, a cool author, I've read s- several of his books. He wrote a book called They Like Jesus, But They Don't Like the Church. And it was a narrative discussing people that they really believed in Jesus and they thought highly of him. They might not have been Christians, but they had a lot of respect for Jesus, but they didn't like what they saw in the church. And here's one of the quotes that Dan Kimball uh, shared from that book. He said, Jesus taught that we should be a people of salt and light. Salt is a flavor that causes someone to want even more of it. Light is a guide and a source of warmth that people are drawn toward. So for our church, for if we're unified, we're going to draw people in. People are going to want more of it because it's salt and light. And that's what Jesus prayed for. He wanted us to have that effect on the people that are around us, the people that came to our church. But then Paul had something to say about unity. Um, He said, unity is essential to fulfill the church's purpose and vision. Okay? We have a purpose and a vision for our church, but it's not going to be, we're not going to move toward it like God wants us to unless we are fully committed to being unified as a body. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He says, I appeal to you. That means, guys, come on, please, please. 
I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions, not some, no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. That means we're agreeing on the key essentials. We're focused on the purpose. We're focused on our vision. We're focused on Jesus Christ, not other stuff. That is our goal, focused on that. That's what we want to see God do. We want him to see, see him work through us because we've seen there's a promise of goodness and pleasantness, and we've seen it's very, very important because Jesus commanded it and Paul shared about it, but, the, but we would be uh, wasting our time if we didn't talk about how it happens. How do we have unity? What does unity look like in the body of Christ? What, what needs to happen or what needs to come into play? So I'm going to give you the ABCs of unity. I guess it's the ABCDEs, okay, of unity. There's five things I want to talk about that will help us get a picture of what unity is about in a church. So the A is this, accepting one another. The first thing a church that's focused on unity does is everybody accepts one another. Now, that doesn't mean we accept sin or anything that's against God's word, but we accept one another. In fact, Francis Chan says this. He says, it is never our responsibility to lower the bar in the name of unity. We never compromise, never compromise anything biblical, but we are to accept one another in despite of our differences. And we get that from Romans 14. If you've never read Romans 14 and 15, it's two of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and it's all about how to get along on things that we disagree on as far as opinions and preferences. How does it work? But here's what Paul writes in 14.1, Romans 14.1. He says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Some translations also say disputable matters, okay, or things that are doubtful. Well, what is a disputable matter? What is this that we're not supposed to argue about? Well, here's what a disputable matter is. It's an issue that the Bible is silent on or doesn't give a clear principle, when, it, when it's something that the Bible does, does not command or does not prohibit, it kind of falls in a gray area. That's what, that's what a disputable matter is. Now, back in the time of Paul, when this was written, there were three main things they were trying to figure out. We call it diet, days, and drink. Okay, diet. Uh, we had Jews and Gentiles becoming Christians, and they were deciding, should we eat this meat that's offered to idols? I mean, we don't eat it. How come they're eating it? We're not, there was a difference of opinion. Uh, then they talked about days. What days of the week should we worship? Then drink. Should we drink alcohol or should we abstain? And Paul was saying, okay, here's the deal. Um, we need to talk about this because these are all secondary issues. How do we get along? How do we get along if my do's and don'ts do not match your do's and don'ts? I mean, how can we function? And that's what Paul wants to share with us. And we're just going to lightly touch on it. But Romans 14 and the first part of 15 really hammers this really good. So what are the, some of the things in our church that are these disputable issues? So as a former worship pastor uh, for 25 years, I'll tell you, a lot of it has been music inside the church, okay? Well, I like this music. I don't like this. I like this. I don't like that. It's too loud. It's too soft. Uh, then it's too cold. It's too hot. Uh, this preacher preaches too long, this one doesn't preach long enough. Actually, I've never heard that one. <laughs> but the deal is, there's all these secondary issues. What do we wear? How come Brett doesn't have on a coat and tie? Is that even legal? Can he do that? Can he preach with that? Okay, we get caught up in all these secondary issues that are disputable matters. So what do we do? Well, we accept each other. 
And we accept each other. We accept people we disagree with. And this is a key phrase you need to remember. Lori knows this. I say it all the time. We need to agree to disagree agreeably. All right? And what that means is we don't have to agree on everything unless it's something that's essential in the Bible. We don't have to. Many people through the years would come see me in my office to... um, um, have concerns about the music or whatever. And so I would just say, hey, I appreciate your opinion. I love you. Here's why we do this. And uh, I just want to let you know, hey, I'm okay. I, we're going to agree to disagree agreeably, even though we might disagree in the big scheme of things. It's not a huge deal. Okay. That's how we have to learn to get along. So there's two ways we accept people, two things, we, ways we accept people. First of all, by not judging them. I know some of y'all are disappointing because it's some of your favorite things to do. But we do not judge people. Um, Romans 14, 3 says this. uh, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Leave the judging to God. Don't belittle someone else's convictions. Don't don't think less of them. Now, let me give you just a real quick... uh, Uh, summary on when you can judge. First of all, we never judge non-Christians because they're not Christians. How can we judge them? They're not going to be Christian. They're not going to act like Christians. But when it comes to Christians, we're not to judge Christians on disputable matters like we're talking about. But we are to judge Christians on biblical issues. And when I say judge, not the way you think of it, it, we should provide a level of accountability and love. If someone is straying from the faith, and our heart is, hey, I want my, my heart is I want them to uh, be where God wants them to be. Then we, we address them and say, hey, Brett, I, man, there's something I see in your life. And you do it in love. That's the approach. But we are to call each other out on that in a loving, godly way because it helps us grow. But when it comes to these disputable matters, we don't. My sister years ago, used to, when she, her kids were young, she wouldn't let them see Snow White because there was sorcery in it. We didn't have a problem with that. We let our kids see it. So who was right? We can both be right because the Holy Spirit convicts us differently on these disputable matters. I shouldn't push my opinion on her, and she shouldn't have pushed her opinion on me. And that's the way it works. But we should also not try to change them, okay? Uh, this might be a surprise for some of us, but we're not called to make people like us. We're called to make people like Jesus Christ, that is, that is our goal. Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. We're talking about all these disputable matters. We're not called to change people. That is God's job. So that's accepting one another. That's the, that's the general thing. We accept one another. That's what it looks like. But then secondly, the B is we build bridges. That's what people of unity do. 2 Corinthians 5.18 and 19, here's what Paul says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, his people, the message of reconciliation. So building bridges is being a person of reconciliation. If you know you have a difference with somebody, especially in the context of church, we should always be trying to build bridges. We should be uh, peacemakers. The goal is not to resolve every issue because some things we'll never agree on. All right? I like to worship when it's 65 degrees. Some like it when it's 80 degrees, okay? But those are things we can disagree on, but we're not going to resolve that issue. 
But we reconcile and we, we come to a point where we can work together and love each other and agree to disagree agreeably. You know, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that we're to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Well, there's a difference. A peacemaker is active. It's someone that's trying to build peace. Someone who's actively trying to build relationship with someone who is different than them. A peacekeeper is someone who just is passive. It's like, I just don't want to stir up anything. I don't like that person, so the best thing to do is for me to stay away from them. That's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to be peacemakers, to embrace diversity. People are different than you. We're all different. Look around. We're all, we all come from different backgrounds and cultures. And then we should prioritize forgiveness as we build bridges too. We have to do that to be unified. So we accept one another. We build bridges. Third, here's my favorite. Control your tongue. That's a good one to end on. No. Um, <laughs> James 1.19 tells us to be slow to speak. Many times we're slow to listen and quick to speak. I guess we get it turned around. It's be slow to speak. And there's two areas I've seen in my, uh, over the years I've done this that our tongue gets us in trouble. Two that stand out. One is we need to avoid gossip. Okay, avoid gossip. So how do you know if something is gossip? Well, when you're not part of the problem or the solution, it's probably gossip. Think about that, okay? Uh, also, you know, sometimes we have a tendency to gossip through prayer. Uh, you know, I have a prayer need, so-and-so, okay? Don't use that either, okay? Just make sure we don't want to... Words hurt people, and you, you can't undo them. So we need to avoid gossip, but then we also need to avoid arguments. Second Timothy, Second Timothy, sorry. Paul writes to Timothy, pastor of a church, and he tells Timothy this have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know, the ones that breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone. Some people just walk around looking for an argument. I mean, that's just in their DNA. I mean, I might get a cup of coffee and say, mm, that's good. And they say, no, it's not. Well, how do you know? I like it. It's not good. Well, so, so some people are just like that. We, may, we see this a lot. In, uh, have y'all ever heard of the political season? Y'all know what elections are? Okay, so we're pretty familiar how divisive that can be. But I think it's clear. Here's, again, this might shock you. But in the context of our church, we have Republicans, Democrats, Independents, and maybe some I don't even know what they're called. But you know what? This is one of the best things I ever heard in the last few years from Dr. Tony Evans. Okay? We're not part of the Republican Party, the Democratic Party. We're, into, we're part of the kingdom party. Amen. We're part of the kingdom of God. All that other stuff is secondary. But the problem is we make it primary. So I want us to really focus on, for us to be unified, we've got to focus on the main thing, and that's the kingdom of God. So accept one another, build bridges, control your tongue. Fourth, do not allow sin into the camp. Do not allow sin into the camp. And there's a story back over in Joshua. Uh, Joshua is leading the army. And they're just, they're, you know, they're conquering all these cities because God is with them. And they're, they're taking over the land. Well, then over in Joshua 7, verse 1, it tells us that some people of Israel, they took some things they weren't supposed to take in one of the uh, areas they conquered. And it says, the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. God's hand became, was off of them now. 
And they were getting ready to go into this battle against this city called AI, AI, not artificial intelligence, but just AI. They were going in to conquer this place, and they were, it should have been easy. Okay, they had no, very, very few defenses. It should have just been a walk in the park to conquer this town. They lost. It's a major upset because God was not with them. And when we allow sin to persevere in our church, that's what's going to happen. It's going to cause division. Does that mean no one's going to ever sin? No, 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 no. We're all going to sin. What I'm saying is continual sin and accepting it is okay. That is not, we can't do that. That God will not use a divided church and sin divides. We cannot allow sin into our midst. And so if there's something that comes into our midst that is wrong, we have to address it in a biblical godly manner for the sake of the church. Remember, it's unity at all costs. I mean, the ultimate goal is restoration. If somebody sins, we want to see them be restored. A number of years ago at a previous church, I had a, a, a man and a woman that were on my praise team. And they ended up having an affair. They were both married to someone else, obviously, and they had an affair. And it was devastating, okay? I removed them from the team. Uh, one of the couples left the church. The other one stayed there. But our goal was not, hey, y'all, everybody needs to leave. I'm done with y'all. No, our goal was to spend time with that, uh, the woman who had had the affair and her husband to walk them through this with the ultimate goal of restoration, and it came to that point, it took a few years, but where they were restored. And now, there's still some domino effects of a sin like that, but the goal is restoration, not elimination. That's what we want, but we have to address those difficult issues. And then lastly, the thing we want to focus on to be unified is to encourage one another, encourage each other. Paul uses the word term, or the phrase, build each other up. We're to build each other up, not tear each other down. Romans 15, 2 says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, not our good, for his good, to build him up. So let me give you four ways we build each other up. First of all, we see the value in every person. We see the value in every person. Romans 14, 15 says, Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Remember, they were, had, a, had a disagreement on eating. So the point was, Christ died for that person like they died for you. They're, same, they're, they're valuable. We have to remember that. Secondly, we keep our focus on what's important. We don't get sidetracked over minor issues. And here's the deal. Uh, the churches I've been at where people have left, most of the time they leave over minor issues, like secondary issues. They didn't like something. They got their feelings hurt. And, uh, you know, and so there's, there's ways to address those issues without just leaving. And so we have to make sure that we don't get focused on what's not important. Uh, third, we have to limit our liberties. Um, I say this all the time, and I'm really talking to myself. Um, as we mature in our faith, we should be willing to give up more of our preferences for those who are not mature in their faith, or they don't know Christ at all, because it's not about us. Okay? The, to me, the definition of a mature believer in Christ is one who is strong in their faith and weak in their preferences. Too many times, we're strong in our preferences and weak in our faith. That's not what God desires for us. Some things aren't necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. So why put those in your life if it's going to hurt somebody else? And then lastly, we do not force our opinion on others. Um, Romans 14, says, The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. And the, what he's talking about is these, these disagreements. Okay, Keep between yourself 
and God. Don't force your convictions on other people. Your goal to get along with somebody is not to get them to act like you again. Our goal is to agree to disagree agreeably. You know, the church is a laboratory to practice loving one another. And that's what we have to be. We have to be focused on unity. You think of a snowflake. From what I read, there's no two snowflakes that have ever been the same. They're all very, very unique. But there's not much to them. They're fragile. But if they all get together, they can shut down half of Texas with snow. It wasn't one snowflake. It was everybody coming together, all of them coming together to make a difference. So are you making every effort to keep unity? You know that we talked about that prayer that Jesus prayed a while ago. He prayed that we would all be one. What's amazing is Jesus prayed that prayer and it hasn't been answered. He prayed that we'd all be, we'd be one just like him and God are one. We're not unified, but hopefully we're moving that direction. We are to we experience unity. That is his desire. Make every effort. So as I was thinking about this, um, I wanted to bring some oil and water here. A lot of us are so different in our backgrounds. We're so different. There's, you know, I, it could be anything. If it weren't for Jesus Christ, a lot of us would never even have met. We don't live in the same area. We don't have the same interest. And we're like oil and water. You know what happens when you mix oil and water? They don't mix. In fact, you could mix them, and then you could still separate them because they don't connect. There's a problem. They, they, the oil and water do not go together. But there's a process called emulsification. Okay, this is science class. Uh, if I can get this lid off. My goodness. Okay. Got to be careful because this is fragile. Egg. Okay, this is an egg. When you mix it with the oil and water, it pulls the oil and water together and they can never be separated. This egg, when you put it with the oil and water, creates something we call Miracle Whip. So, what are we saying here? These two things do not mix. But there was an emulsification agent that came in and did a miracle whip. This, is, this represents Jesus Christ, guys. This is what holds us together. This is what pulls us together. You guys are miracle whip. That's why we're here, to make a difference for Christ be united for him. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to read this scripture. I'm going to read this scripture. I just want you to listen to it. Just let it soak in. Colossians 3, 14 to 16. It says, Above all, all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I asked, I asked Caleb to sing that song, Gratitude, before, and before the message, and we're going to do it again here in just a sec because we want to be thankful for the gift of Jesus Christ but also for the gift of the church. And we need to remember how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Let's stand. Let me pray. Uh, our uh, prayer team will be up here. If you need to pray, if you have anything you need to pray about, 
health issue or anything God's working in your life, as we sing in a moment, I encourage you to come forward and you can pray with one of these prayer partners. They would love to pray with you. But here's the deal. Maybe you are not a brother and sister in Christ. Maybe you're not part of God's family yet or you're not sure. Please don't miss the opportunity today. It doesn't matter what you've done, what your past looks like. Jesus wants you in his family. We'd love to talk with you through that process. He forgives anything. He wants to restore and he wants to move forward. He wants you to be part of this family that is focusing on unity. Let me pray. Father, we love you. I pray that everything we do, we will seek you and to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And I pray for our church that we will be unified. I pray we'll accept one another. We'll build bridges. We'll control our tongue. We'll, we'll handle any sin that comes in the camp. And we'll also build each other up through encouragement. I pray that if there's anyone in this, hall, in this uh, auditorium that doesn't know you, they don't leave without inquiring and seeing what that is, what that means, what is, what is following Jesus all about. We sing to you and give you all the praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.